0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to yet another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. I am your dutiful host, Jeremy Scheinwald. Today on the show, we have Sarah Kunst, founder of ProDay. Sarah grew up in rural Michigan, but always had big ambitions. She worked multiple jobs in college, repping Apple, Red Bull, and more simultaneously, finding a novel way to maximize her time by representing several brands from the same desk. She talks about that on the show. When she graduated from Michigan State, she worked in marketing and business development for Chanel, Guest of a Guest, and Kaleidoscope, before spending a year in VC with more, with more Davido partners and a year in search with Fortis partners. All of this was the pregame. In 2015, Sarah conceived of and launched ProDay, an app which hosts video content from professional athletes which allows you to work out like a pro. ProDay was part of the Los Angeles Dodgers accelerator and is on the verge of taking off. We're thrilled to welcome Sarah to the podcast today. But first, why are we here? The VFA podcast is is produced by hold on to your chair, Venture for America, a fellowship program for enterprising recent college graduates who launch their careers as entrepreneurs and thus help revitalize America's cities. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city where they learn how to contribute to a high-growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs. To learn more about Venture for America and support our work, you can visit VentureForAmerica.com. And while I got you here, why not ask you to maybe like our show on iTunes? You've been listening for a long time. Like the show. And subscribe to it as well so that you get it delivered to your uh, podcast app every day. And you can follow me on Twitter. At Jeremy Scheinwald. And I should tell you that support for smart people should build things is brought to you by the good people at Wix.com. A great web presence is essential to running a successful business. If you have a new idea or just need to upgrade your website, check out Wix.com. Wix has something for everyone with hundreds of designer made, customizable templates to choose from. Not a coder? not a problem. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com, used by more than 77 million people worldwide. That is more than the number of people listening to our show. 77 million. Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account. No credit card required. It's easy and the result is stunning. Go to WIX.com today. And here is the interview itself with Sarah from ProDay.
1: Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast.
0: Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy, or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories.
1: This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast.
0: Okay, great, Sarah, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. So you grew up under some fairly unique circumstances, um, at least for those who become um, entrepreneurial in in the tech world, a 300 person farming town in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, How did such a unique experience shape you and your ambitions?
1: You know, I I think it's interesting. Um I was actually just recently uh, at with a bunch of friends who'd all grown up kind of in the suburbs of a of a big city and it's interesting to see how you know, when you come from this literally like this tiny little speck of a farming town um, that literally does not have a stoplight, there's no real sense of, oh, I'm going to stay here. And so it kind of untethers you. And, and now as an adult, I've lived in New York. I've lived in San Francisco. And people are always like, oh, you know, when you when you have kids, are you going to like move back to where you're from? I'm like, no, I'm not a farmer, you know? And, and so it, it's kind of cool because it, it gives you, it takes away a lot of those preconceived notions of where you should live or what you should do. And you can kind of just pursue do what you want um, because you know you're going to be leaving anyway and so you can go anywhere and it's kind of all, it's all, you know, you can make your new home wherever you want it. So it's, it's a very interesting perspective and obviously very few adults are going to move to a place like that. So to, to have that perspective growing up, and I think about that now a lot with, with the company that I'm doing, where I know to some extent what the needs are in those communities because I've lived in a town that literally has a gas station that also sells alcohol and ice cream, and that's the only place in the town to go for anything.
0: I'm, I'm. I don't want to go too far down the personal mm-hmm. rabbit hole here, but I mean, how did your family? How, how did your family get there? And are they? Are they still yeah, was, there? Did you go. Did you go. Random. Back
1: there? Um, my parents live about a half hour outside of it now, but uh, my dad sells insurance. And something you've probably never thought about in your life is that every county fair and tiny little township you drive through when you're on some rural back road somewhere has to have municipal insurance. So my dad, for whatever reason, ended up specializing in municipal insurance, and so we just kind of picked a random place to live that was up kind of northern Michigan, close enough to all of these, you know, places, because growing up, he would spend... A Wednesday night would be drive for four hours, go to the annual meeting for some tiny little state, you know, city fair, county fair, get the insurance business that year again, and then drive four hours back. And so we were sort of located close to some of that stuff. Um, and, and then my mom stayed home and, and raised us. And that was, you know, that, that was sort of the life, growing up, riding your bike through, you know, cornfields. And it was really, really interesting childhood.
0: So yeah, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like sort of idyllic. Like, I'm now imagining you on this bike with, you know, a rickety fence down the yes, side. Literally. You know, literally, like yes, literally. Wheat growing on the side yes, and stuff like that. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, I know that image because that's really the outskirts of, of, of my town was like yes. that, too. I lived in a city, but, like, as soon as you got outside, mm-hmm. it was like... Fields forever. That's that's
1: where most of America lives, and and we forget that, right? We're sitting in New York now, um, and and we you sort of feel like the entire world lives in these cities, and really, at least in America, you know. Most of your customers look at Facebook, right? Most of the people with Facebook accounts don't live in Manhattan. They live in a city that has probably less than ten thousand people or fifty thousand people, and and that really is a customer. I think a lot of times tech startups forget about or kind of write off, but they're you know just as is many if not more of them than there are sort of the coveted millennial who makes six figures and lives in a major city.
0: I think I, I think I see where you're going with this. We'll get to your company after, but it's, I think yep. I, I think I'm seeing the connection here, um, but I I do want to talk a little bit more about your your, your personal side. I thought it was really interesting. The, um, you know, there's so much being written about grit right now, and you had like multiple jobs in college, and I. I'm just curious, like, what drove you to work so hard, and if you were like, "I'm determined to graduate debt-free." Oh, I like money, and I just like, like a- money.
1: Um, yeah, I mean that—that that was the the thing that I realized really young is that I liked money, or more specifically, things that money can buy, and so I needed to make a lot of it. Um, and and so I've just always been focused on, you know, what do I want? How do, what do I want? How do I get there? And for me, it's always been, oh, okay, I want jobs, and then I realized really quickly that. I didn't want to be standing inside of a mall for eight hours a day. Um, I went to Michigan State University, right? I didn't want a, a job where I was sitting behind a desk, you know, checking in students in the, the cafeteria or whatever, eight hours a day, like a lot of my friends who were trying to make a little bit of extra money. Um, so I, I started seeking sort of high leverage jobs very early in my life where I was working for – I was a campus rep, and I became like the campus rep for all of Michigan State. So worked with everybody from Apple to Ford Motors to Red Bull and Tag Body Spray and just all these companies. And then I realized, oh, I can actually bundle these jobs, right? So you'd come into the student union and I'd have like this long table with Tag Body Spray and Red Bull and like Ford stuff and all this different stuff. And so I'd be getting paid. I'd have four jobs, but I would work them you know, at the same time, concurrently, and so I'd be working maybe 20 hours a week and getting four paychecks. And and so I was like, okay, this is way better than my friends who work eight hours a week and get one paycheck, you know. And and so really just pursued that, and it was sort of an early understanding of, I always knew I wanted to be in the business world, but of kind of, hey, you know, everybody has to work, but why not make the most money or get the most kind of bang for your buck when you are working. And I sort of have always gravitated towards that now, hopefully doing the ultimate example of that, which is running my own company so someday I can be a billionaire, you know. So it's it's interesting to to have learned that, I think, pretty young.
0: Were, were were Apple and Red Bull aware of this? Were they like cool with it? or was it just like they loved just me because
1: out? I had the best relationship. So there was a while, like by my senior year of college, every brand that wanted to get on campus had to pay a crazy amount of money, except my brands because I was friends with the woman who ran all of this stuff in the student union, and she'd always give me a table. She liked me, so I could do it for free. And everybody else, they had to pay this huge penalty. So it, it I don't really know how aware of it they were, but I was always the best brand rep of all the colleges because I. I was the one who is the most connected because I was doing it for so many, so it helped them whether or not they were aware of it. I don't know.
0: What's the old saying? You know, ask for forgiveness, not for exactly.
1: Ask for, not for, don't ask for permission; ask for forgiveness. Exactly, that, exactly. It? Yes.
0: Um, so I, I, you know, you, you do you do a ton of media, which makes my job as a researcher <laughs> a lot easier. Um, so thank you for that. And, and you're, you're dispensing some advice on on one of the forums with that, where you were interviewed, and you said, "quote." When you're younger, you think the most important thing is following your passions, but the problem is your passions change a lot. Just understand that the things you want to do will change, and you can't really know the future. You've had a really diverse career. Like before mm-hmm. you became an entrepreneur, um, you know your your options yeah. seem to have been kept open. Has, has everything been building to Pro Day, or were there stops along the way that were like, yeah, this is it? I'm gonna, I am mm-hmm. gonna be with. Um, you know, I'm gonna be. You're in government for a while. You're in VC for a while. You know what?
1: Yeah. It. It. For me. Um. You know, I. I think that it's unlikely. So I graduated college in 2008, and I moved to New York, and I got a job, and I was like, okay, this is great, whatever. And then I remember sitting there one day at my job and being like, well, who's Bernie Madoff? And then the entire world exploded, right? And and so I learned really early that. Um, nothing about there is no safe career path right and the idea at even at 50 that you're going to be doing whatever you're doing then for the rest of your career is probably wrong um and so i I think that the biggest thing is optionality right having a lot of skill sets understanding kind of that there's an array of things you can do um this is the first time I, I have a company in the fitness space, first time I've ever had a company full time in the fitness space. But I've been looking at these kinds of concepts and different things for years. I've, you know, been helping people do other other things in this space. Um, there is a, a couple of fitness instructors that I'm friends with that I would, you know, have helped out with some of their ideas over the years. And so by just giving them my time and my insight for free, learned a lot about the industry so that when I was going into it, I wasn't going in completely, you know, know, cold, right? I already knew a little something. And so I I think that that's where the optionality comes in. Um, You might think I only like this thing and this is the only thing for me. This is the only thing I'll ever do my entire life. But it might become obsolete or you might have to move somewhere where you can't do it. And so having other interests that you cultivated and that you're putting work into, I think, really preserves that ability. And so for me, um, I don't know what I'll be doing 10 years from now or 20 or 50, but I know that I'm, I'm Always on the lookout to pick up new skills now that will serve me in whatever it is I'm doing. Then,
0: I, I think so. You spent you spent some time in, in the VC world, and I, f- I think from like most people, that's like the top mm-hmm. of the heap, right? You don't leave the VC world. What what? How did you how did you find your way into the VC world, um, and why leave?
1: Yeah, the VC world is interesting. It's uh, the one of the worst ways to get a job in VC is be like I'm going to go get a job in VC, and I'm gonna you know I think I'm going to be a good VC because. You have no idea if you're a good VC. If The best way to be a good VC is if you can predict the future accurately. But if you can predict the future accurately, your time would probably be better spent buying lottery tickets and get in, you know, predicting the numbers, right? So realistically, you don't know if you're going to be a good VC until you've been a VC for 10 years. Um, but – and you can actually see the returns – but um, I think a lot of people think – it's sort of like, oh, I'm in finance, or I like business, but I don't really want to do the backbreaking work of starting a company. VC seems like a perfect fit for me. It's a pretty good indicator you're gonna be a terrible VC. For me, I was at startups for a long time, and I was at a startup, and it was you know, running out of money, and the co-founders hated each other, and it's all imploding, and so I started talking to um, some VCs about should we raise more money, what should we do, and one finally was like, your company's gonna fail, and that's okay, that happens to most companies most of the time. Um, but I really like the way you understand the market, and the, you know the way you think about companies and deals. And you know she would send me stuff and kind of ask me to like, oh, what are your thoughts on this company or this space? And she said, you know, do you want to work for me? And so it was completely random. It was a job that was never, you know, there was never a job spec, never an application that I filled out. Um, and it just sort of happened. And I think for a lot of investors, that's how they end up uh, on the investing side, which is somebody who's already an investor kind of says, hey, you might be good at this and brings you in. Um, and for me, I mean, VC is something you can always go back to. It's, it's you know, the, the number one requirement of being a VC uh, of investing is do you have capital to invest personally? The number two requirement, right, if you want to get hired somewhere is do you know the right people to to who can hire you to be an investor. And so I wouldn't be surprised 20 years from now if I'm doing that again. But I think that when you're younger and you have a lot of passion and energy um, and just time, that you might as well do something that requires every waking moment of your life. And that's typically not VC. So for me, that that's definitely company building.
0: So it's just you just sort of said yourself like, OK, I'm enjoying this. I'm good at this. But there's something else I want to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, it was I realized that when I looked at good companies, good companies usually need less help than bad companies because good companies are good. And the bad companies, you know, it's either the founder doesn't quite get it or something. Like, there's just something, and the company's probably not going to work. And a lot of times as a VC, you end up liking and spending more time with the bad companies because you get to do stuff. The good companies are like, hey, give me money, and I'll call you in a year when I need more money because I'm doing well. And then it, it's cool, right? It's awesome because that's where you make your returns. But the the fun part is kind of being in the trenches and actually working on these companies. And I realized that I didn't really like my good companies. I liked my bad companies because they needed me. And I was like, maybe if I'm this passionate about helping it build a startup, I should just go back and do a startup, as opposed to like helping all these companies that probably aren't going to make it anyway.
0: <laughs> or these quote-unquote bad companies were like, like, no, Sarah, don't leave. You know, yeah, kind of, saying,
1: kind yeah. of. It's definitely interesting when you shift your roles and all of a sudden you're saying, you know, I don't have unlimited amounts of time to help you. And for me, the other thing that I started to realize, and this is probably the number one thing that makes a company quote-unquote bad, is somebody comes to you with a problem, you give them a solution. They say, yeah, that solution seems like it makes sense. I'll try it. Then they come back three months later with the same problem, and you're like, what? Whatever happened with that solution you tried? They're like, oh, yeah, I didn't, didn't try it. Like, cool, we'll go try it. And then they come back to you three months later, and you're like, okay. At some point, you either have to take my advice or stop taking meetings with me. Like, I don't care which one, but one or the other, um, because this is Groundhog's Day. And and I think that that's, you know, one of the the biggest things that happens with startups when they don't do well it's because they're not almost any idea can be can can be somewhat successful right can move forward let's say um, kind of indefinitely if you're willing to keep hacking at it and keep trying new things to slowly kind of move it forward usually when companies suck it's because they've stopped moving forward and they're just kind of sitting around looking at each other waiting for a miracle to happen
0: so, tell me, so tell me about the decision to start Pro Day. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a pain point that led you to start the company.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I was traveling a ton. Um, this is as, for as work. a VC,
0: or as a a
1: VC, and just in general, one of the one of the one of the biggest one of the things I learned early on. I was based in New York, would spend a lot of time in Silicon Valley, and both coasts were kind of curious about the other one. And you know, you're always, especially earlier in your career, right? You're always looking for arbitrage um, because you're you're kind of fundamentally not that good at anything because you haven't been doing anything that long so you might you know randomly be relatively talented but there's always going to be somebody who's better in hard skills usually where you're going to make up for it is in something else right it might be that you are you know young and single and willing to work 20 hours a day it might be that you you know are able to leverage the fact that you can you know, reach out to your alumni network and they'll all take meetings with you because, like, oh, it's a little me, you know, whatever it is. There's always some sort of arbitrage. <laughs> okay. And for me, I realized that a lot of the arbitrage was the, the fact that I was willing to be this sort of human kind of homing pigeon where I was constantly ping ponging back and forth between New York and San Francisco. And if you said, hey, Sarah, can you come speak on a panel and come take a meeting in New York? I would come to New York and I'd be in New York for 48 hours and then I'd be back in San Francisco and vice versa. And it, like sucks sleeping sitting up constantly to the point where like just this sheer act of being able to lay flat while your eyes are closed is like the ultimate luxury is crazy but at the same time when you're willing to do that stuff you end up with a lot of opportunities that other people don't have because no one in their right mind thinks it's cool to take three cross-country trips in a week you know and and so for me a lot of what I was able to do um with you, with my VC career, was that. And then that transitioned into me saying, Holy crap, I'm constantly traveling. I have no time to work out. And I was like, I'll download an app. Like, I did not want to start a company. I just wanted a good fitness app. And when I downloaded all the apps, I couldn't find anything that was great. And then I kept looking and I kept not finding it. And I knew a lot about content. I knew a lot about fitness, and I was like, "This isn't a hard problem to solve. It just hasn't been solved yet." Um, and and from there, decided to build a company.
0: So, uh, so what, what was out there when you when you decided to go it was just like the um, production values weren't fitness, good. Or?
1: Yeah, so fitness is an interesting space um, where the vast majority of fitness apps, and I do not know why this is true, but the vast majority of fitness apps literally are terrible. They look like they were made with Windows ninety five. They're just ugly and full of ads and it's just a weird space in that regard and then um so, so that's maybe 80% of the apps are just ugly to the point of being unusable, and then in and, and they don't work and they're kind of just bloatware. And then the the other 20%, um, a lot of them do some things well, um, but they maybe that they, maybe they're great, but you have to pay up front, you know, $20 a month before you can see any of the content and even know if you want to use it, which is kind of a lot of money for an app. Um, or maybe you you know they they have good content but it's kind of super simple and it's stale they don't refresh it very often you know they just sort of say hey here's what we have Use it or not right like the seven minute workouts of the world lots of great seven minute workout apps but that's a utility workout it's not really fun you don't get any joy out of it you're just like god let me do this because otherwise i'm completely sedentary so there's just a lot of things and there wasn't anything that captured what people actually when you enjoy working out what you enjoy about it, which is hey, it's engaging and fun and I feel like I'm part of something and it it's yes, sometimes you sweat and that's hard, but you don't, you know, if you've ever played a team sport, you don't mind that workout because you're you're doing it in a way that's fun. And I really felt like that ethos just did not exist in the fitness app world. So we decided to create something that would be as, as fun to use as it is effective.
0: You mentioned the importance of a good website here. And You know, when you're building your own website, there are so many things to worry about, and you don't have time to spend worrying about your budget and design and all those types of things that, you know, people tend to um, outsource, you know, scheduling appointments and building your own web presence, and, like, that's where Wix.com comes in. Wix.com allows anyone to build a stunning website, and it's easy, and the structure is there for you. Millions of entrepreneurs create their own professional websites using Wix.com, and the results are stunning. And that includes Sarah, who built has built some websites using Wix.com. We were talking about that before the show. Wix gives you access to hundreds of customizable templates and easy drag-and-drop tools you can get up and running today. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card required. Go to WIX.com today. So you, we're talking about the pain point that, that you experienced and how a lot of fitness apps weren't to the level um, that you wanted. So you you make this determination that you're going to enter this space. What steps were there between decision and go? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm always curious about that. Like, I think a lot of ideas hit people on a gut level and then other people vet them and test them and talk to mentors and friends and, I'm curious what your process was. You
1: know, I just had this conversation with a friend of mine um, who super smart, Stanford, when worked at a big bank, now is at a big fancy unicorn tech startup, and you know, kind of having all these conversations about you know, should I should I do this idea or this idea? I'm like, just go start something. Like, this, this is what you need to start a company. You need to be able to build the product. And if you need outside capital, you need the outside capital to build it. And then just go do that. And if you're wrong, then change it and build something else. And I sometimes think that people love the fact-finding area because you don't have to commit to anything and you feel like you're doing deeply important work, right? So the question is so, – so for me, for ProDay – Uh, do people work out? Yes. Do people pay to work out? Yes. Do people use fitness apps and pay to work out? Well, fitness and health apps are the fastest growing, the only growing part of the App Store, Um, and it's a $26 billion market, so yes. And at that point, I could have spent five months doing more research, but why? Because I already knew what I needed to know if I wanted to start a company. If I'm not sure I want to start a company in that space, that's fine. I should spend time figuring that out. But that's like me time with myself, not sort of taking lunch meetings with a hundred people to ask them the same questions that I already know the answers to. And so I think a lot of times, especially kind of success-driven types who are thinking about starting a company, they love the fact finding. It's like, no, just just go start. If you want me to care about the fact that you're thinking about starting a company, come to me, go go on Wix, right? Make your make your splash page page, spend ten dollars on Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Google ads, whatever. Prove that you can get people to click on an ad. Start a social media page and get likes and show that you can generate content. Start your brand. Start something, right? Don't come to me and say, can I pick your brain? I have an idea. Like, everybody has ideas. Go do something with it. And then from there, um, and and you'll always learn more spending two months executing in a space and then realizing that it doesn't work than you will spending two months fact-finding in a space.
0: So, the short answer is between, between identifying the idea yeah. and determining you were going to do it was close to zero time. You were yeah. just like, yeah. I, I, mean. I put
1: up a post on Facebook. So I was watching Ballers. Most of my life revolves around, like, what, what would The Rock do, right? So I was watching Ballers, and I was like, hmm, athletes have some excess capacity, right? Basically, it was like athletes have time in the offseason. They have time when they retire. Athletes are really busy during the season, and other than that, they have a lot of free time put a post on Facebook that said, does anybody know any professional athletes I can talk to? Ten people responded, and one person sent me on an email with another person, talked to him, and I was like, hey, you you know, used to be in the NFL. Um, Here's what I'm thinking, like a workout app where I film professional athletes. Would you give me four hours to film you? Um, And and I'll put it into an app, and I don't pay you, and I do a rev share with you. And he's like, yeah, sure. I was like, okay, well, if an NFL player would do that, and they make a lot of money, even the bad ones who never play make a lot of money, then every other sport's going to want to do that because they don't make any money. And then I started
0: it. You, you always ask yourself, what, what would The Rock do? Yeah. Uh, my professional wrestler of choice is George the Animal Steel here. I'm mean, giving a shout-out <laughs> to Seth, our producer. So I always ask myself, what would George the Animal Steel do? And the answer is he'd eat the turnbuckle. Exactly. Um, or chase down Miss Elizabeth. Uh, I love 1980s wrestling. Okay, so um, uh, so I, I, you went through that quickly. Mm-hmm. So so I just want to make, sure make sure I'm right. So there, mm-hmm. there is a financial incentive for, for the – for, you, you use the word RevShare. That was mm-hmm. RevShare yeah, with the yeah, athlete who's doing yeah. it. So, so you, they, they you actually, subscribe
1: to the app, and then you know the athletes making money off of your subscription, and it's great because it's an interesting revenue opportunity for the athletes, and it also you know is an interesting op- revenue opportunity for us. And then for the users, they get to, to see all this cool workout content um, that's a lot more inspiring than you know the random bodybuilder you're following on Instagram.
0: Okay. And so I wanted to, I definitely want to get to the mm-hmm. athletes um but you picked up funding from the LA Dodgers incubator mm-hmm. and from Ariel Zuckerberg yes that mm-hmm. Zuckerberg um sister of that Zuckerberg how do you I mean how did you get in touch with them I mean it seems like everything's easy mm-hmm. Just post on Facebook and someone yeah. connects you but you know I mean how yeah, do you, how do you there's one step to like talking to them yeah. the other is gaining approval from them
1: Yeah you know I I think um so I was, I think 28 when I started the company, literally every day of my life since I was probably like 20 or 19 when I started working for Apple in college, um, I've been working and looking at the tech world and reading tech blogs and meeting people in tech and just doing like a, a, the, the I've done years worth of free work for people just to like learn more about tech, right? And, and I don't mean like didn't have a job, but I mean like while I had a job, tech startups would come to me and say hey you know can you help us think about branding cuz you're you know a lot about marketing and i'm like sure i'll go to coffee with you again and again and again and i'll help you with this stuff and so You know, the the reason, right, with the Dodgers, um, their accelerator, they'd already sent out all their acceptance letters to the companies. And when I started the company, because I hadn't started the company when they were accepting applications, so I didn't apply because I didn't have a company or know I was going to do anything in the space. So then when I decided to do it, a couple friends of mine in the tech space were like, oh, you know, the Dodgers did this thing. Too bad you missed it. And I was like, oh, well, can you ask them if they'll still talk to me? Which is kind of an insane ask, but they're like, sure, we can ask them. And so I got literally like 10 people to email the Dodgers and say, hey, you know, Sarah's great. We know it's closed. Would you still talk to her? And the Dodgers were like, no, 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 no. Okay, this person's going to stalk us until we say yes. So they said yes. They'll talk to me. And I talked to him like, you know, it's already closed. I'm like, I know. I just want to talk to you. I just want to tell you what I'm doing. And so, you know, I was able to to literally like I got the meeting with them and I'm like oh crap I don't have anything to send them like I better spend the next 24 hours and make a deck but and and so it's partially the relationships that I spent years building and it's also the skill sets I spent years building it's really hard to come up with The URL and start incorporating the company and secure a tech lawyer who can help you, you know, get your EIN and set up your banking so you can get the check and do all the stuff that I was literally probably did in like four days if you've never done it before. But when you've spent, you know, eight years of your life doing this stuff, it's not super hard. Um, And so for me, it all happened quickly and it seems like oh that was pretty easy, and to be honest, a lot of it was in the early days pretty easy because I'd been practicing for it, you know, for eight years. So all I had to do is put in eight years of work to overnight be able to get money from you know Zuckerbergs and the Dodgers and everybody else.
0: So tell, uh, tell us about the accelerator. What, mm-hmm. what what is what happens? You, you join their accelerator. Mm-hmm. What's the accelerator experience for the LA Dodgers?
1: The Dodgers are so cool. So they're they're owned by a hedge fund, and the hedge fund is diversifying. You know, they're starting to invest more in tech, and so because of that um, you know they they have just an amazing network and they've been so helpful um, introducing us to you know I think every company in in the accelerator would say this there were 10 companies total um, introducing us to other team owners and um, sports media people and people for strategic partnerships and and it you know the, the the strength of the accelerator was definitely the network that they were introducing you into um, and it's a network that would be almost impossible to build by yourself from scratch, right? Um, I would be sitting down for meetings with the, you know, Jeannie Bus, who's the president of, of the LA Lakers, right? In you know, dating Phil Knight, which I think is like the most interesting factoid not in Phil the Knight, world.
0: Phil, not Phil Knight, Phil, Phil Jackson, um, Jackson, yeah, Jackson yeah, Phil
1: Jackson, yeah. And you know, so I don't so, want to start
0: rumors on the show. I know exactly. Buss. Sorry,
1: but so, yeah. you know, it, it, it's not something. That's not somebody you can access, except the Dodgers are like, oh, yeah, here she is, you know. And, and so it really, to the Dodgers' credit, they've they've done a great job of being really, really supportive. And and after the program as well, they're still really, really supportive and helpful whenever they can be um, about making strategic intros, especially. And, and that's something, you know, you can relationship build, but you get to a certain point. Um, when you're dealing with high enough level people, and you just can't access them, you know, you can't just casually network your way to Barack Obama, right? You kind of have to have an in. Right. Um, and and so in the sports world, the, that's the level of people they're bringing to you, and they are your in. And so it's been a great experience. So how do you
0: make the how do you make a relationship like that active, like alive? You, know?
1: you know, I think it depends on your needs. I think one of the worst things people sometimes come to me and like, I'd love to like get coffee and pick your brain. I'm like, about what? Like, I will give anybody the time of day. I have my Gmail address on my Twitter account, right? I will literally give anybody the time of day but like you have to have an ask because if you're like I just you know I'd really like want to learn from you I'm like learn what like how I do my eyeliner because the things I know are very broad I need something direct here and so if you tell me I'm I want to go into whatever uh I want to do more things in in philanthropy and you know I see what you've done in activism or I see what you've done in in tech or in fashion or whatever like give me a hook and I can help you and I think it's it's in, and I'm not even an important person, and I know I feel that way. So I'm really careful and um, activating those relationships. And you feel like, oh, I should keep in touch. You're like, no, really, these people don't need a monthly update from you, right? What they need is to meet you like you, get to know you, have good references about you, and then come to them with incredibly specific ask, right? Down to if you want them to email you to somebody that you see they know, say, hey, I'd love for you to email intro, I was thinking you could say something like, and send something, and they can cut and paste it. The easier you make it to help you, the more help you're going to get once you establish those relationships.
0: It's been less than a year since Mm -hmm. you started Pro Day. Mm -hmm. What's been accomplished in year one, or in almost year one?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's been about nine months, um, and it's just been crazy. You know, we came up with the idea Built the site, built the app, built you know, our API and our algorithms, and, and built all the tech. Um, we've secured uh, we've secured two athletes that we've publicly announced. A bunch more that will be rolling out over the next few weeks. Um, we have a big announcement coming up uh, later this week. We just we're we've done a lot, and it's it's hard because it's a company with a lot of moving pieces. You have to bring in the athletes. You have to bring in um, you know the press to cover the athletes. You have to bring in the investors um, and it, because it's a consumer app the investors also want to see growth and so you know you then you're bringing in users and you're learning what the users like and, and so there's a lot of moving parts um, and it's it's been really interesting to go from something no one's ever heard of to now probably, A couple times a week, I'll get emails from Olympic gold medal winners and from, you know, NBA or NFL stars, like from big name athletes who are like, hey, heard about your app, would love to learn more. And so it's it's awesome to start having that happen where – even though we haven't done a lot of promotion around the app enough people enough of the right people are hearing good things about us and the the amounts of time when people come to me and they say hey you know i was talking to this athlete and they told me about you and what you were doing and it'll be athletes that we haven't even signed yet right that are are still positive enough about their experiences with us that they want to do more and that's been really really cool Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast.
0: So looking back at, at, you know, now that we're almost at year one, is is there anything you would have done differently? Is there any way you could have moved, moved Pro Day along faster?
1: You know, there always is, right? Hindsight's twenty twenty. And the thing with startups is if you're building a company and it's so formulaic, you know exactly what to do. Um, there's probably times where that works. But I think I would think that that indicates probably you're in a space that doesn't need your company. Um, if it's completely turnkey and you can just kind of, you know, it's not a franchise, right? It's a startup. So I, I actually think that the only thing you can do is pick a position, and I say this a lot to my employees, right? I'm like, I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm saying this is how we're going to do it because I we don't have time to – explore every option, right? We're not gonna spend, we're not gonna convene task force trying to decide is this the right name or is this the right whatever. You pick and then you move on. And if you're wrong, that'll come out, right? It's really easy to notice when you've completely messed something up and you're gonna need to redo it. Um, But maybe you won't be completely wrong and that's great too. And so for me, it's been a series of gonna make this decision and we're gonna execute against it and we're gonna hope it's the right decision. Um, You know, and, and in terms of moving faster, I think um, when you start a company that has a lot of moving parts, um, you're herding cats who don't really care about you and you have not—you don't really have a lot of leverage over. Um, so I, I don't know how much faster we could have moved a lot of the things. I think there's always a difference in the order in which you do things. Um, I think that when it comes to fundraising, for example, you should really early on go do the if you know people who actively deploy capital that you're pretty sure will give you money, go to them like the first day and be like, hey, give me money. And if they say nope, then re- understand that probably nobody else will either and go build more of your product and hit some kind of inflection point where you can go back to those people and say, what about now? What about now? Right? And and I think a lot of times companies, at least in Silicon Valley, spend too much time trying to fundraise early on um, when it should really kind of be – go test the waters if if you're too early nobody's excited then you need to build
0: more. So you mentioned the word team and you talk about your employees mm-hmm. How many people does it take to to, to build this uh, house? I've got to yeah. find, figure out my metaphor there. Build this <laughs> ship, I was going to say. I um, guess you can build the ship. Yeah.
1: yeah, you can build a ship. That's the only way they get built. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> you. it's a small team. It's a it's a really small team, um, and that's for a couple of reasons. I think that right now there's an epidemic of over hiring um, because you you hear people in the startup world say like, oh, you know, hire every smart person you can find. Like, no, that's a terrible idea because you don't know how they're all going to work together, and they, everybody should have at least 2 full time jobs worth of work inside of a startup before you had another person is my feeling um and and not to mean that you should work people into the ground but Everybody needs to be at full capacity. And I think a lot of startups, they hire before they need to and people aren't. So we have um, one full-time developer who literally builds everything from our WordPress site to setting up our mixed panel funnels to, you know, doing our algorithms and um, building the app and, and end and, and literally everything. Um, this one person, and I keep thinking I'm going to need to hire another, another developer, but this guy just has a, an endless capacity for... Um, uh, for for work and, and for doing stuff. And so he's it. And then um, on the business side, um, I have a production and operations woman who produces all of the content. And I was like, oh, you have to learn Photoshop. And she's like, I don't know Photoshop. I was like, that sounds like a problem to solve. So she spent a week and she learned Photoshop. And now she can do all of our social media because she can edit all of our Instagram images, right? So and I think right now she's emailing me and she's editing our Facebook ads, right? So she's now a graphic designer instead of a production and operations person solely. Um, and, and, and then me. And so there's three full-time people and we'll add a couple more people this year. But, I mean, it's, it's really unlikely if you're an early stage startup with very few users that you need 10 people. That's just not how it works.
0: Right, makes sense. So you, you have you have content from Delaney Walker, who's a tight mm-hmm. end who just re-signed with the Tennessee Titans. I, mm-hmm. I saw that in the press the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get in, is is he part of your Facebook? Like anyone known professional athlete, and someone's like, I know Delaney Walker, and you're like, um, okay, no, great. He, yeah,
1: he came through actually a, a connection with the Dodgers. Um, somebody that they had sent in um, a, a lawyer actually that they sent in to talk to the companies um, and give feedback. Knew his PR person, and his PR person is is. Brilliant and just completely understood, you know the value proposition, right? Delaney, I think is is on like a twenty five million or something contract right now, right? He's not, he doesn't need the money, um, but as you're an athlete and you know Delaney is a really fascinating guy. He does a ton, like he was a nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year award this year, um, and you know the play, he was in the Pro Bowl. The players, the players love him, other teams love him. He does a ton of charity work. He's a really cool, you know, car collection and collects records, and you know, is a great. Dad. And there's all these things is really into fashion that you don't see when you're watching him, you know, hit over a thousand receiving yards in a season. Right. And and so um, I think for athletes like that, the cool thing is that they can show more about their lives and who they are than just what you see on the field and just the stats um and and so with somebody like him we were so excited to have him as our first athlete because i mean one the guy is 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 six feet tall 264 pounds eight percent body fat like his bicep is like you know the size of a bowling ball so so obviously the athleticism is there but then also the personality and that's really what we look for um when we work with
0: athletes you know, one of the things I, I mm-hmm. watched, the, the free content, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> from mm-hmm. suddenly exposing myself as a cheapskate uh, mm-hmm. from Delaney Walker. And I'm, I'm curious, like, I mean, A, I don't have a kettlebell, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, like, is there, how do you make sure that what this professional mm-hmm. athlete is doing yeah. is accessible to the guy who is six mm-hmm. foot two mm-hmm. and probably has, like, I don't know. Well, I don't know if I, I don't know what my body fat is I was gonna, I was gonna overdo it I and won't. say like thirty percent body fat yeah. but I think I'm in decent shape yeah um I don't know whatever but whatever it is mm-hmm. um but you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. the, the guys who are obviously yeah. not professional athletes yeah. you know and I did a bike ride this morning so good, you know good, good. body fat down. keep it up yes
1: yeah. um, you know so so for most people and and I spend like this kind of surreal life now where I spend all this time with like with all these professional athletes and their workouts and what they're doing they don't do stuff that's that crazy, right? Like, it's literally all the super crazy, fancy gym equipment you see, that's meant for like the equinoxes of the world, right? That goes into these fancy overpriced gyms so that people like me, who pay $200 a month to go to the gym, feel like we're getting our money's worth, right? Most athletic training centers, they don't have crazy stuff. They have pretty much what you'd find in, like I always joke, a Russian prison, right? (laughs) Which people in Russian prisons, they're in very good shape. People in American prisons are in good shape, right? It's literally just weights. And and that's what you need, right? You need – what do you do when you work out? Your body – is a really efficient and very simple machine. Your body can do a couple things. Your body can, you know, you can lift heavy weights and you create microscopic tears in your muscles and then those tears heal and that builds muscle. You can raise your heart rate to a certain level and that burns calories. And that's pretty much the only really two things you can do with your body. You know, and and so the methods at which you do those, right? What's different with professional athletes is the intensity um, and the duration with which they work out. The actual workouts they're doing are probably, you know, you you could probably have stopped. Um, learning different workouts in like sixth grade gym class, and you'd know 90% of the workouts these athletes do. The difference is the order that you do them, the consistency, the progressive overload, always making sure you're lifting more weights or you're pushing yourself a tiny bit harder to always make progress, right? That's that's what makes a difference. And then also the 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 way you're fueling yourself, right? What you're eating and, and you know, your, how much sleep you're getting and how much water you're drinking. That's the stuff um, – that allows athletes and certainly for a lot of athletes it, it's also a huge amount of, of just you know genetic predisposition but um, it's really not as crazy I mean look at right with runners um, marathon winners are coming from Kenya where they do not have you know some of the ridiculous gym equipment that I might use at, at Equinox and they're in a lot better shape than me um, it's it's not the equipment it's really how you use it and your your dedication to working out
0: I think suddenly I've gotten some inspiration to start the Russian prison app. Uh, exactly. Much cheaper to produce, Well, that I'm might sure. be something weird, but. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. Um, so, you were recently on stage at South by Southwest mm-hmm. for a session with a legendary tech investor, Scott Cook, who I believe started Intuit, mm-hmm. um, called Finding Your Product Market Fit in 15 Minutes. Mm-hmm. What did you learn, and did you find that fit, or did you have it all along?
1: It was the like craziest experience. So, it was really cool, but. Scott just decided to open it up to the audience to give constructive criticism. So you're sitting there at South by Southwest, and all of a sudden, like all hundred people in the audience are raising their hands, saying, like, I don't, I don't like your logo." You're like, thanks, great. And so what? It, so to Draw the feedback. pretty, thick skin it, pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah, so the feedback was great, right? He had a lot of really interesting insights about calls to action. We actually just revamped the website. Um, we launched. Re- We revamped the website and launched the new design today. And a lot of it was based on some of the things he was pointing out because whenever you're building a company, no matter how much you start out as the customer, as soon as you start building, you cease to be the customer and instead you're the creator and you can never see things as clearly as people on the outside can. So he had a lot of great insights. But um, the more interesting part of it, right, the the insights I got from him were really, really helpful and um, I appreciated them. What I appreciated even more was – learning how to sit there while you're being filmed and you're smiling and people are telling you just randomly everything they don't like about your website that they've never seen before. And you're like, wow, you've so little time to form such angry opinions about me. Thank you.
0: Yeah, It is tough because when you get feedback from someone, you want to take it seriously, um, but you can't be everything at once. You know, yeah, you they, can't be attached to it. Two people will, will say things that are diametrically opposed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, As I've grown my, my own mm-hmm. business, people have said to me, you know, well, I feel like you're you're kind of you seem like you're a big company in your space now, and it kind of lacks the intimacy it used to have. And I'm like, well, we're kind of a big company in our space now. Like, yeah. that's that's we're not a huge company. We're a big mm-hmm. company in our space. You know, mm-hmm. we we can't be both big and small mm-hmm. simultaneously. Mm-hmm. It's it's tough to, it's tough to like filter feedback because you don't want to you don't want to you know, um, yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, but you know, you also don't want yeah, to try and be did, everything to everyone at the same time. Yeah,
1: you want you want to take all feedback just to understand. But I, I take all feedback, but I hold it very lightly, right? I, I don't. You can't internalize. You you can't be defensive. You have to hear it because it's somebody's opinion. And even if it's wrong, it's their opinion, and they're completely allowed to have it. So you need to know, oh, this is how a certain subset of people think about me, or this is how a certain subset of people think about the world. Um, what do I want to do with that? And even if it's just, like, put it in your back pocket and know it, great, do that. Um, but it's always better to, to know rather than to be just in the dark.
0: hmm You've been a pretty outspoken, you've been uh, very outspoken about the lack of female women of color um, who are founders of companies. What practical steps can be taken to encourage diversity in the startup world?
1: Oh, I have a really um, complex answer to that. we got time. Just hire more people who aren't white dudes. And it's funny because if you do that, then you have more diversity in your company. And everybody's like, what <coughs> should I do? And, like, how do I get more diversity? And I'm like, you're a white dude. The next person you hire, just make sure that they don't look like you. And they're like, but how do I – I do know. I already told you. Like, we, we just had the whole discussion. I explained it to you. <laughs> and there's, like, a lot of resistance, and everybody has all these really interesting reasons. And it's fine, right? if you are not somebody who can figure out the very simple step of doing that it's just that you're probably also not the right person to be deploying capital as a venture capitalist or to run a company if you can't figure out how to go hire somebody who doesn't look like you then I have zero confidence in your skills to do anything to change the world and and I mean in terms of like what the company that you run and you think that you're a a unicorn right and you're so brilliant but you can't figure out how to hire somebody who doesn't look like you like you can't be both simultaneously brilliant and dumb enough that you can't figure out how to do that. So pick one, <laughs> and that's it.
0: You'd like you should listen to our our past show we had with uh, with Laura Mather who mm. developed Unitive, which mm-hmm. is um, it's a, a platform that um, enables like large companies. She mm-hmm. sold a she sold a secu- uh, um, enterprise security company for like four hundred million dollars mm-hmm. to what is now part of Dell. Anyway, her next mission was to to build this platform that would. That would help people um, to hire, and it would sort of force them to stick with skills as mm-hmm. opposed to force them to hire people, like to, to mm-hmm. prevent them from following our biases mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. saying, Oh, you look like me, I'll hire you. Yeah. You know, you went to the same fraternity, we're yeah. gonna be like, We would have a good time having beer, mm-hmm. and like, Can you actually do the work? Yeah. And yeah. I thought that was very interesting. I'm gonna have her back on to, yeah. to, to, to check in with her, but she's tackling this diversity mm-hmm. problem mm-hmm. for the people who you're talking about because maybe. Yeah they can't do it on their own. Well,
1: in, in bigger companies, it's different, right? It's it's a lot different when, because if you have a massive company, your company is by definition dumb because it's slow moving. It's not, you can't be super agile and responsive and do all the things you can do in a 10 person company, in a, in a 10,000 person company, right? Your company is, is essentially does become dumb no matter how good it is at what it does. And that's part of what that's the only reason startups have a chance because you're david and they're goliath and you can run circles around them literally because it takes them too long to really mix metaphors right to 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 turn their ship um and and so yeah big companies are dumb and dumb companies need help with diversity small companies shouldn't be dumb if you're a small dumb company then you're not going to be around long and and the thing that i see right and and Venture capital in uh, investing is the same thing. Where these are small companies. Andreessen Horowitz is probably the biggest, one of the biggest venture capital fund, um, funds in Silicon Valley. They have like a hundred employees, maybe. They're small companies, right? And so, if you're a small company, you don't get to be dumb. If you're a big company and you're dumb, then like, yes, go get all the enterprise software help you can to fix this problem. If you are a five-person company and you've not yet figured out how to hire anybody but a white dude, like. You're going to fail. I'm happy you fail. I hope you fail. That's it.
0: Okay, your your Twitter feed says that you have a big announcement coming this week. Mm-hmm. Now you already kind of alluded to it earlier mm-hmm. on. Um, can you can you give us the scoop?
1: Not the total scoop, but I'm very excited. We we've we've been sort of chugging along for a long time now, and and we're about to go from. Pro Day is going to go from something that, you know, you maybe hear about if you follow, you know, me closely to something that is a lot more ubiquitous. So we, we are going to be you, you're, you're going to have a much harder time escaping us soon. And that's really, really exciting. We're we're ready. We've, we've we're probably past ready. We're, we're very much excited to um, to to just be a little bit more public with what we're doing, a little bit more easily accessible um, and, and have more people using the product.
0: You mentioned that there that there's so the only athlete that I could see on the platform Mm -hmm. right now is Delaney, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. but is there is there?
1: Yeah, so we have we have another athlete. uh, Yeah, so we have another athlete that right now um, only some of our subscribers can see, um, and that is part of our big announcement. So I won't totally ruin the surprise. Um, And then you'll see we we kind of think of it like an editorial schedule, right? Which is. every month or so, you'll see another athlete on the platform. And, and the reason that we do that is it keeps it new, it keeps it fresh, it's something exciting to come back to. It also kind of varies your workouts. Um, and and you don't get in a rut, you don't want your mind to be bored, you don't want your body to be bored. So by giving you a new athlete, kind of in doing a big announcement of surprise, like, hey, guess who the next athlete is, um, it, it keeps people excited. And it, it's fun, and we get to kind of celebrate each athlete individually, which is, is, is a big part of the platform. This is a way Way that you can connect with these awesome athletes and see kind of who they are and what they do um, outside of, of, of when they're athleting.
0: Okay. well when we, we're gonna we'll keep an uh, we'll keep an eye on the, yeah. uh, by the time this thing this thing airs the announcement will be out there so um, I would suggest that people go out there and check out ProDay. yes and I'm assuming it's ProDay.com. I was on the site but I'm dot
1: Co yeah dot, uh, dot
0: Co that's yes. right. okay there yes. you go I'm Very glad, glad you corrected me yes um, and give me the whole all the Instagrams and Twitters mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff
1: yeah so it's uh, you know if you go to ProDay.co, you'll you'll see the website in the app store it's pro day fitness workout um, and on we are on on instagram and twitter and facebook um and we are at pro day app at all those places
0: fantastic thanks for sharing your story with us awesome thank you